I got it this week, Rick. <laughs> Good morning. This morning we're going to open with a prayer. It's a prayer for Christian leaders that uh, Jan gave to us. So, God, thank you for placing Christian leaders in my life who love you and care about me. I have been shaped by their wisdom, compassion, kindness, and selfless love. Today I ask that you would show me how I can bless these leaders, just like they have blessed me. Let my gratitude remind them what they are, seemed, value, and known. Encourage them when they feel worn out, and renew their strength when they're overwhelmed. Give rest to those who need it and remind them of your promises. Bless their families, strengthen their ministries, and expand their influence for your glory and their good. In Jesus' name, amen. And it says, save this prayer. Gonna do that. Uh, and I think, you know, there's... Pretty much everybody that I can see looking out here ends up being a leader in one way or another in this congregation, filling some role. Um, so this is really a prayer for everyone because uh, each in our own way serves the Lord. All right, let's worship our Lord. The highest calling. <laughs> Whoever you does not forsake all that he has cannot be my disciple. When the Standard Oil Company was looking for a representative in the Far East, they approached a missionary and they offered him $10,000. He turned down the offer. They raised it to $25,000 and he turned it down again. They raised it to 50000 and he rejected it once more. What's wrong, they asked. And his response was, your price is all right, but your job is too small. God had called him to be a missionary, and anything else was not worthy of his consideration. What should we be for Christ? Most Christians are not called to be missionaries or preachers, but they are they're called to follow Christ. They are called to be faithful in whatever he puts them in, whether it be in school, home, factory, or the office, in the neighborhood, and in the nation. They are called to be controlled by the Spirit and to bear fruit of the Spirit. They are called to be Christ's ambassadors wherever God puts them. Nothing less than God's call is worthy of our consideration. And the hope for today, God's calling is noble, whether he calls you to parenthood, a million-dollar company, or the mission field. The determining factor in a position's worth is not the monetary pay, but whether or not it's in God's will. What's the call in your life?
from Psalm 145 this morning. The Lord is gracious and full of compassion, slow to anger and great in mercy. The Lord is good to all, and his tender mercies are over all his works. All your works shall praise you, O Lord, and your saints shall bless you. They shall speak of the glory of your kingdom and talk of your power to make known to the sons of men his mighty acts and the glorious majesty of his kingdom. Your kingdom is an everlasting kingdom, and your dominion endures throughout all generations. The Lord upholds all who fall and raises up all who are bowed down. The eyes of all look expectantly to you, and you give them their food in due season. You open your hand and satisfy the desire of every living thing. The Lord is righteous in all his ways, gracious in all his works. The Lord is near to all who call upon him, to all who call upon him in truth. He will fulfill the desire of those who fear him. He also will hear their cry and save them. The Lord preserves all who love him, but all the wicked he will destroy. My mouth shall speak the praise of the Lord. Would you stand with me and we will sing together the Lord's Prayer. Our Father, Thank you. 
Testament reading today comes from the Gospel of Mark. Chapter 12, verses 28 through 34. One of the teachers of religious law was standing there listening to the debate. He realized that Jesus had answered well, so he asked, Of all the commandments, which is the most important? And Jesus replied, the most important commandment is this. Listen, O Israel, the Lord your God is the one and only Lord. And you must love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul, all your mind and all your strength. The second is equally important. Love your neighbor as yourself. No other commandment is greater than these. The teacher of religious law replied, well said, teacher. You have spoken the truth by saying that there is only one God and no other. And I know it is important to love him with all my heart and all my understanding and all my strength and to love my neighbor as myself. This is more important than to offer all the burnt offerings and sacrifices required in the law. Realizing how much the man understood, Jesus said to him, you are not far from the kingdom of God. And after that, no one dared to ask him any more questions. Will you join me in a responsive reading? In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. I thank you, my heavenly Father, 
through Jesus Christ, your dear Son, that you have kept me this night from all harm and danger. I pray that you would keep me this day also from sin and every evil, that all my doings in life may please you. For in your hands I commend myself, my body and soul, and all things. Let your holy angel be with me, that evil though may have no power over me. Amen. Let us pray. Our Heavenly Father, we know that you spoke the universe into existence with a single word. And Lord, we know that, that the whole thing belongs to you, the stars, the skies, the earth, and all that's in it, and each one of us. And Lord, and for the other things that are in this earth, you ask us to share, to give back, to give back so that your word can be spread to others, that others all may come to know you. So Lord, we ask that the gifts that we give today be, be blessed and that you show us the right way to use it. This we ask in Jesus' name, amen. Good morning. The Lord is good, isn't he? Let's say a word of prayer. Father, we thank you and praise you for um, your word. I am always um, grateful and amazed at the depth of your word, the beauty of your word, the uh, wisdom in your word, and just, um, Lord, as your word says, that your word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. And, and I just thank you that we have, we've been given a guide to guide us through life. And I pray this morning that you will speak to each and every one of us from your word, that your word would, will go forth clearly, convincingly, and Lord, help us to, to uh, be not just here but, and forgetful hearers, but to be doers of your word. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, um, I want to talk to you today. Uh, we're all the way into Genesis 2. So, with any luck, we'll be done with Genesis by, I don't know, a couple of years from now. So. <laughs> I don't, we don't go real fast, but... <laughs> Um, but I want to talk to you about um, the seventh day, actually called the seventh day and um, not the Sabbath day in this particular passage. Uh, but then we're going to, we'll move along and we'll talk about the Sabbath day and what that means to us. Um, so it's Genesis 2, 1 through 3. Thus the heavens and the earth were completed in all their vast array. So we've been all chapter 1 was talking about uh, the creation, the creation account, and it ended up uh, in, in day six with the creation of man. Um, first all the animals and then man. And then verse two, and by the seventh day, God had finished the work he had been doing. So on the seventh day, he rested from all his work. And God blessed the seventh day and made it holy because on it, he rested from all the work of creating that he had done. Now there's uh, three words or three senses of the word, uh, shaveth, which is uh, the word that's translated uh, rested. And uh, in, the, in the NIV, it's tra translated rested. Um, and there's three senses in which it, that word is used in the Hebrew. One of them is to cease to be, and the other is to desist from work. 
The third is to observe the Sabbath. And so, um, but this, the, the sense that the, most of the commentaries that I consulted was that this, it's the second one to desist from work. So it's a ceasing of our work. That's really what it's talking about when it says he rested. Um, so the idea is not so much that God, you know, found two trees and put a hammock up and lay back on the seventh day. It's that God ceased from, ceased from working. Um, and it was it, it desisting from work. And um, actually one commentator says that it is achieving, he, it was a, not simply relaxation, but more like achieving equilibrium and stability. So it was like, it, it was completed. God had completed the work that he had done. And so he, he stepped back from that in a sense of accomplishment that it is finished. That, that's, the, that's the sense that the word is. And then it says, and God blessed the, the day and sanctified it, that se- the seventh day. Um, usually, the word bless is used for animate beings, for men, for animals, for, you know, um, it's people or animals. But in this sense, and this is a very unusual sense of this youth word, God blessed a day, which is, you know, really unusual kind of uh, uh, usage of the word. But the idea is um, that God... That those who bless this day and, and cease working on this day will be blessed. That's the whole idea of it. And uh, the word in the Hebrew is barach, which is um, which which is the word that's used a whole bunch in Scripture, uh, like with Abraham. Abraham, uh, you know, he's blessed to be a blessing. Um, it's that same same word. And we see it in the ironic, what's called the ironic blessing or the blessing that Aaron gives in Numbers 6, verse 23 and following. Tell Aaron and his sons, this is how you are to bless the Israelites. Say to them, the Lord bless you and keep you. I, this, you know, there's just a lot of songs and so on right now that are, uh, um, talk about this. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face toward you and give you peace. So they will put my name on the Israelites and I will bless them. How many of you have heard the song, The Blessing, by Carrie Job and, uh, and Cody Carnes uh, wrote it? Um, it's a, not even heard that. Okay, well, anyway, it's uh, been kind of going around, and they wrote it. I, it must have been, I don't know, maybe something like that, that they wrote it. And, and this song has gone all over the world. Um, they sang it over you know, over the United States, but the different countries all over the world have picked up, have picked up on this, and it's been translated into, I don't know how many languages now, and sung over the different nations. Um, hmm? Wow. Yeah, wow, okay, wow, yeah, good, yeah, wow. <laughs> um, and I've seen, I've seen quite a few of them. I've seen, you know, England, I've seen the Middle East, I've seen Turkey, I've seen, yeah, just a lot of different countries or people groups that is a sung over. But one of the most powerful ones to me was the one, I, and it's probably one of the most powerful songs I've ever heard that impacted me the most. And it was sung um, in the Middle East, of all things, in all, diff- all the different languages of the Middle East. And so there'd be one language, and then it would, and it, and it would, it would go one to, one to another, um, covering all the different people groups in the Middle East, all of them singing blessing over the Middle East. And that just, it just really impacted me uh, when I heard it. I, it was Christmas, Christmas morning, and I got up and I heard this thing. There's a friend of mine that wrote it, actually. And uh, not, I mean, wrote that version, put that version together, didn't write the song. And, uh, and, and it just, I, I came running out <laughs> Kids were there, and I came running out, and I said, you've got to hear this, this uh, blessing over the Middle East. You know, that, and it just reminded me that it's God's blessing that's going to bring the Middle East together. That's the only way that the Middle East can, can ever come together. Otherwise, it's, it's just a disaster. 
I mean, every time we, we, we get ready to go over to the east, um, it's something else, some other catastrophe has happened. I mean, it, it's just which country that catastrophe is, is happening. And right now, Lebanon is a mess, and there's a bunch of countries. Anyway, um, so then, then it, and so it talks about um, God blessed that seventh day, but then it says that God made it holy. And the seventh day, then, is the very first thing to be set apart by God. And the word in the Hebrew um, is a word which means set apart or consecrated. So God made it holy. He set it apart um, and blessed it, but also made it holy, made this day holy. The word in the, um, in, in the Greek that's used in the Septuagint is hagiadzo. Do you know what the Septuagint is? You know what that is? Septuagint is the Greek translation of the Old Testament, uh, taking the Hebrew and the Aramaic, and it was translated into Greek, and uh, they, it's, the, the designation is LXX, which means and there were 70 scholars in Alexandria, and they put this Greek New Testament together, and this is the version uh, used in the, well, it certainly was the version used in the New Testament. So they weren't, most of them, reading from the, old, from the uh, Hebrew or Aramaic, they were reading from the Greek. So it's a very important, uh, very important one. Well, Hebrews 10, um, it says this. By that will, we have been made holy. Okay, so we go into the New Testament then with this making this holy. We have been made holy through the sacrifice of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. So all of that Old Testament sacrifice and, and ritual and so on, uh, we as, as New Testament believers, believers in Christ, um, this is speaking to us. Day after day, every priest stands and performs his religious duties. Again and again, he offers the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. That is permanently. There's, there's no answer for sin because it's all was looking toward Jesus Christ. But when this priest had offered for all time one sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God. Since that time, he waits for his enemies to be made his footstool. Because by one sacrifice, he has made perfect forever those who are being made holy. So the Old Testament, you know, just a whole lot of the Old Testament was, was how you can you what you needed to do and the sacrifices and all the things in the Old Testament. Of course, that, that was exemplified in the holiest of holies, in the, first in the, uh, the portable tabernacle and then in the, in the temple. Um, and there was a holy place, and then the holiest of holies, the priest would go in once a year. And that's what this passage in Hebrew is leading up to, is that uh, Jesus went into that holiest of holies one time to make one sacrifice for sin so that we can be made perfect. So it's important to realize that in these verses in Genesis chapter 2 that the Sabbath day is not mentioned. Okay? Now it's implied, and, and we look back to that, but it's not mentioned. It's just talked about the seventh day. Um, the seventh, Sabbath day itself doesn't start until Exodus. Okay? And the children of Israel are out in the wilderness, and God speaks to them in the um, uh, Mount Sinai, and inscribes in, in stone, God writes out the Ten Commandments, and that's where we get the day established is in, is in uh, Exodus. But the Sabbath idea is as old as creation. Because it was, you know, that, that it, the Sabbath day and the institution of the Sabbath day goes back to the, uh, uh, the uh, creation account. So in Exodus 20, we see then the Sabbath day. Remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy, okay? Remember that God made holy that Sabbath day, or seventh day. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is the Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall do no work, you shall not do any work, 
Neither you, nor your son or daughter, nor your manservant or maidservant, nor your animals, nor the alien within your gates. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea and all that is in them, but he rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. So it goes right back to this whole idea. God blessed the Sabbath day, made it holy. Therefore, um, in, for the children of Israel, God instituted as a, as a special day of resting and ceasing work. Okay, so let's talk then about this Sabbath rest. Um, and what we're saying is this, that the divine Sabbath that God set up, the day of rest that he established in Genesis chapter 2, is seen as the cause of the human Sabbath. God rested, therefore we are rest. By observing the human Sabbath, people give, give recognition to the divine Sabbath. God rested, so, and he set that example so that we could rest. And so the Sabbath day became very important to the Jews. God established it. It was one of the Ten Commandments. And it's so important that, um, I thought this was kind of an interesting, uh, interesting sense in which uh, the Sabbath day is important. Leviticus 26, uh, beginning verse 14. Uh, but if he will not listen to me, okay, now this is uh, God establishing this, uh, establishing in Exodus, and then Leviticus carries on this tradition then, or this command. He says, but if you will not listen to me and carry out all these commands, and if you reject my decrees and abhor my laws and fail to carry out all my commands, and so violate my covenant, then I will do this to you. And then in Leviticus then, God spells out all the things that are going to happen to the nation of Israel if they don't, if they don't do, you know, they don't follow after him. In verse 33, this, I will scatter you among the nations and will draw out my sword and pursue you. Your land will be laid waste and your cities will lie in ruins. Then the land will enjoy its Sabbath years all the time that it lies desolate and you are in the country of your enemies. Then the land will rest and enjoy its Sabbaths. All the time that it lies desolate, the land will have the rest it did not have during the Sabbaths you lived in it. What does that refer to? Huh? Yeah, Babylonian captivity, okay? God said, if you don't keep my commands, if you don't do what I tell you to do, if you don't seek me, then, and if, particularly, if you don't keep the Sabbath, then you're going to pay for that. And you're going to be sent into captivity, and you're going to pay for those years that you didn't keep the Sabbath. So in 2 Chronicles 36, verse 19, says uh, they, and this is the account then of the Babylonian exile. They set fire to God's temple, this is uh, in Jerusalem, in 586 BC, and broke down the wall of Jerusalem. They burned all the palaces and destroyed everything of value there. He carried into exile to Babylon, the remnant who escaped from the sword, and they became servants to him and his sons until the kingdom of Persia came to power. Okay, that's when um, Cyrus came to power in Persia and Babylon uh, transferred over to the, um, to the Persians. The land, now listen to this, verse 21, the land enjoyed its Sabbath's rest. All the time of its desolation it rested until the 70 years were completed in fulfillment of the word spoken by Jeremiah. Okay? So this Sabbath rest, or this concept of rest, ceasing from work is so important that God carried the children of Israel into, the, into Babylon and they, and, and they were there 70 years to make up for the Sabbath rest that they didn't take. That's how important it becomes. You know, 490 years of Sabbath uh, divided by seven is 70 years. That, uh, from, and that's from the destruction of Solomon's temple in 586 B.C. until Zerubbabel's temple is finished in 516 B.C. Okay? And that's what was foretold by Jeremiah. Um, another evidence of the importance of this Sabbath rest is this, in Exodus 31, beginning verse 13, say to the Israelites, you must observe my Sabbath. 
This will be a sign between me and you for the generations to come, so that you may know that I am the Lord who makes you holy. Observe the Sabbath because it is holy to you. See how many times it talks about it is holy to you. Anyone who desecrates it must put to, be put to death. Whoever does not work on that day, does any work on that day, must be cut off from his people. So that's how important this was in the Old Testament. For six days work is to be done, but the seventh day is a Sabbath of rest, holy to the Lord. Whoever does any work on the Sabbath day must be put to death. Now, I put those in there just to show how, how important this was to the nation of Israel, and I believe then to us, that there's a Sabbath rest, there's a time of resting that God puts into our week and puts into our schedules so that we, we rest. Now, in the, in, the, um, in the New Testament then, this, uh, the, you know, this becomes different. Let me, let me share this with you. And what had happened was that the Jews had taken what the law, what had been written in the um, in the, what we call the Mosaic Law, that Moses wrote down those things that we need to observe, but then they had extended that into what's called the Mishnah or the Oral Law. And in doing that, they had greatly expanded on it and, and made it much more difficult. And that's what Jesus comes against. Okay? So the Sabbath was observed on Friday evening after lighting the Sabbath candle until the appearance of three stars in the sky on Saturday evening. So, but in later Judaism, the rules became more strict about the Sabbath. Okay? So, for example, the use of marriage or sex is forbidden. Cannot light a fire. Cannot prepare food. This is on the Sabbath day. Cannot move any household object. Cannot carry a bed. Cannot nurse a sick person. Cannot pick a few ears of corn. Can't walk further in the Sabbath day journey. 2,000 paces or cubits. <clears throat> Here's some other examples. If a man intended to take out of his house a thing in front of him and it slipped behind him, he is not culpable. But if he intended to take it out behind him and it slipped in front of him, he is culpable. So, you could, I mean, you know, I just give you these to show you how crazy this got. Uh, if a man took out a loaf, bread, into the public domain, he is culpable. If two men took it out, they're not culpable. I don't know how two people carry a loaf of bread, but <laughs> that's, that's, what it, that's what it said. But if one could not take it out, and so two men took it out, they are culpable. <laughs> An egg may not be put beside a kettle on the Sabbath, so that it shall get cooked, nor may it be cracked within hot wrappings. <laughs> okay. <clears throat> so the question is, with what can you, you know, so what they would do is they would cook before the Sabbath, and then they would cover, you know, things to keep them warm. And so these are the regulations on how to, you know, what you covered up with. Um, they may not cover it up with peat or dung or salt or lime or wet sand or dry sand, or straw or grape skins or flockings or herbs that are still wet, but they may do so if they are dried. They may cover up hot food with clothes or produce or feathers or sawdust or hackled flax. Okay. And so it got to be really ridiculous. Um, all these regulations and what God had intended for rest, they had now made all these, you know, very minute principles and things that, you know, ways that you keep the Sabbath. So when we get into the New Testament era then, Jesus has... Um, he spoke against then the oral law. Not the Mosaic law, but the oral law. Because they had taken it to such crazy uh, you know, places that Jesus uh, has, has problems with it. So let me give you some stories that talk about that. John 9. They brought to the Pharisees the man who had been blind. Okay? So Jesus had healed a man on the Sabbath. Now the day on which Jesus had made the mud and opened the eyes man's eyes, was a Sabbath. Therefore the Pharisees also asked him how he, might re he had received his sight. He put mud on my eyes, the man replied, and I washed, and now I see. The Pharisees said, this man is not from God, for he does not keep the Sabbath. And the keeping of the Sabbath became 
a sticking point for Jesus because they had, they had made it into something that it was not intended to be. Others asked, how can a sinner do such miraculous signs? So they were divided. Now, Jesus kept the Sabbath as far as the Mosaic law went. And he, but, and he did not dis, dispute the keeping of the Sabbath, only the legalism of keeping the oral law. So that's, what, that's the problem that Jesus had. And this, it was not just this, it wasn't just the Sabbath, but all kinds of things. They had made what was intended for good into something which was a great burden on everybody's shoulders. Luke 13, on a Sabbath, Jesus was teaching in one of the synagogues. And a woman who was there who had been crippled by his spirit for 18 years. She was bent over and could not straighten up at all. When Jesus saw her, he called her forward and said to her, Woman, you are set free from your infirmity. So you can just, you know, you can just picture this woman, and she's all bent over, um, and she'd been crippled for 18 years. She comes into the, you know, she's in the Sabbath, and Jesus calls her forward. He said, Woman, you're set free from your infirmity. Then he put his hands on her. Immediately she straightened up and praised God. Indignant because Jesus had healed on the Sabbath, the synagogue ruler said to the people, there are six days for work, so come and be healed on those days, not on the Sabbath. Okay, so, you know, it's great that there's been a healing, but let's do it on six days instead of the seventh day. <laughs> so, in other words, he wasn't concerned at all that the woman now, who had been 18 years, all bent over, is now standing up straight and praising God. That's not the issue. The issue is, it was on the Sabbath. The Lord answered him, you hypocrites, doesn't each of you on the Sabbath untie his ox or donkey from the stall and lead it out to give it water? Then should not this woman, a daughter of Abraham, whom Satan has been bound for 18 long years, be set free on the Sabbath day from what bound her? Okay, so, so Jesus says, wait a minute, let's get this right. Um, this woman was bound for 18 years now she's standing up straight, and now she's praising God, and you're saying, oh yeah, but it was the wrong day. <laughs> so, so Jesus is, has, a, has a problem with that. And what he was saying was that men were not meant to be squeezed into their interpretation of the law, but men were the reason for the Sabbath. That's what Jesus was talking. It was given for men. It was given so that we'd have a time of rest. The goal was to enable people to rest and get, regain strength, not to put a straitjacket on them. Whole series of rules which had to be slavishly followed to the, de to the detail. The rules, in other words, he was saying, are not the main thing, but the, rather the fact that man is to rest on the Sabbath. It's been given for man. Mark 2, beginning of verse 23. One Sabbath... Jesus was going through the cornfields, and as his disciples walked along, they began to pick some ears of corn. The Pharisees said to him, Look, why are they doing what is unlawful on the Sabbath? He answered, Have you never read what David did when he and his companions were hungry and in need? In the days of Abiathar the high priest, he entered the house of God, ate the consecrated bread, which is lawful, only for priests to eat, and he gave some to his companions. Okay, you remember the, the story then. Jesus is being chased by Saul. Saul was the first king. And David is, 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 you know, is anointed by God to be king. And so Saul gets jealous of David and starts pursuing David to kill him. And David runs and goes to Abiathar the priest. And Abiathar gives him, he says, and he has men with him. And he says, will you give us the consecrated bread? And the priest said, yes. And then Jesus said this. Then he said to them, The Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. And that's really the big point. Sabbath is made for man, not man for the Sabbath. So we're not meant to you know, try to pick apart exactly how we would celebrate the Sabbath and rest. The issue is, it's made for us. There's a time that God has given us from the time of creation and he's taking us back to that saying, I've given you a time to rest. Don't work all the time. 
The Sabbath was intended for our good, not as a series of rules to be kept. That's Jesus' point. Okay, so let's talk then about the Sabbath and the Sabbath day. All right? <clears throat> the Sabbath rest, as we might say. And uh, there's some questions we need to answer first of all. The first is, is the Sabbath day rest for everyone, Christian or non-Christian? Okay? Um, and, and I would say to that, I would say it is intended both for the Christian and the non-Christian. Okay, now the non-Christian is not going to abide by that. They're not going to be really excited about that. But um, I believe that because it's taken from the, the creation account and then reaffirmed in what we call the moral law, all right, there's ceremonial law about, you know, all the sacrifices and all that kind of stuff. And then there's the civil law given to Israel as a nation. And we're not, you know, all of those, that was fulfilled in Christ. It all pointed toward Christ. Christ fulfilled all of those rules and regulations. So we are not, and, and we are not, we don't need to keep those things. Um, but I do believe that we are called to keep the moral law. The moral law is expressed both in the New Testament, but also in other places. And because it was established at the beginning of time, as part of the, of the creation, then I believe that, that God has called all of us to, to, um, to a rest, a rest time. And the purpose of the Sabbath was a day to cease from our labors, contemplate what is eternal. As Jesus said, the Sabbath is for us, not us for the Sabbath. God has given us rest. And I have seen, you know, I've seen a lot of people just not, um, not get very excited about this Sabbath and not take a rest. And then I see them, you know, 10 years later and their marriage is all broken to pieces or they're worn out, um, they, you know, they get sick and everything. I believe that, you know, and it's not, it's not, again, it's not just the one day that's so important, it's that there is a rhythm of working and resting. And I believe that God has given both to us. We are not made as human beings to work constantly. God has, God has given us time to rest to cease from our labors, pull back and contemplate and meditate and, and just, you know, look at the big picture. Call it the big picture day if you want, or whatever, whatever you want to call it. And I think and I believe that it is for everybody, but of course the unbelievers are, you know, they're, they're not going to acknowledge the source of it. But we know the source of it. We know that God was the one um, who established rest. <clears throat> but it's interesting, when we go over to Turkey, in Turkey, they actually are more, um, they celebrate it more than we do. <clears throat> Here in the United States, I mean, you drive to, on a Sunday, you drive down someplace, and, and, um, and yes, there's a lot of different religions and so on, you know, and so there are a lot of people that don't celebrate that any, any kind of Sabbath or anything that has to do with Christianity or Judaism or whatever it is. Uh, but in Turkey, you'll see a lot of, you'll see more businesses closed. Almost everything's closed up on a Sunday. I know it used to be that way in the United States. Now, I'm not, I'm not necessarily advocating that, you know, that we should have Sunday be a day of rest. But we do need to rest. There are people who can't rest on a Sunday. Well, that's fine. That's okay. But... I believe that there is a rhythm of rest and work and rest and work and rest and work that we do need to pay attention to. So the second question is, should we as Christians keep the Sabbath? And I would say, yes, I believe that we have, that we are called to, uh, to rest. But God is not a rule keeper. Um, and one commentator said this, and I love this. Uh, well, he says first, Christian freedom doesn't say there are no rules, but rather that we shouldn't need rules. 
Okay? I think it's a brilliant statement. The Bible is not a book of rules. So the idea is not that this is something we need to, like the, like the Jews did, keep everything and make sure that we do this and that and so on, but we shouldn't need rules because the law is written on our hearts. Walton has a whole question on contemporary significance in the observation of the Sabbath. And he asks the question, is the Sabbath a law that we Christians have to keep? Here's his answer. The answer is that if we have to be reminded, commanded, or coerced to observe it, it ceases to serve its function. <laughs> All right. I like that. The Sabbath's not the sort of thing that we should have to be, that should have to be regulated by rules. It's the way we acknowledge that God is on the throne, that this world is his world, that our time is his gift to us. And that's the purpose of it. It's, it's, it's pulling back, contemplating, meditating, and realizing who God is. Next thing is, should we impose the Sabbath then on unbelievers? All right? Should we as Christians go around and say, okay, you guys, you've you got to shut everything down. Um, the Sabbath is, is uh, mandated by God. Well, Peter ends in another commentary on Exodus, and he says this. He says, I am neither shocked nor offended when any public official, or anyone else for that matter, who does not claim the name of Christ, or perhaps does so only nominally, breaks one of the Ten Commandments. Frankly, breaking those laws is the least of their worries. I like that. <laughs> we should never wonder when God's law is broken by people who were never intended to keep it in the first place. Moreover, by chiding these individuals for doing so, we are sending the wrong gospel message that being right with God is primarily a matter of proper conduct. I love that. We are saying to them that God demands a high moral standard apart from the work of Christ. That proper behavior is what makes us right with God. All right? Um, and... And so if we go, and then this is a, a broad principle, if we go around saying, you've got to be, do this, this, that, and the other thing, we're telling them that it's, it's your behavior that matters. And it isn't. What matters is they get their lives right with Christ. That Christ died for them, he died for their sins, he set them free. He says another place, what do we hope to accomplish by imposing God's law on those who do not know him? To make better citizens? To make better behaved children? Neither of these goals is wrong. In fact, they're important. They're not, however, the goal of the gospel, which is to change those who are not God's people into those who are. So let's get it in perspective. Those who do not know him are walking tombs. They do not need whitewashing, but complete renovation from the inside out. They do not need their moral gyroscopes pushed in the right direction, but the spirit of the risen Christ breathed into them. Wow. Okay. So, yes, I believe it's for everybody, but no, we as Christians need to stay focused on what's really important, which is a relationship with Christ. That Christ can change hearts. Christ can make you new on the inside so that you want to keep those things that God has given to us. Okay, so what then is the essence of the Sabbath day? We've already talked about, about, about this, but I'm going to go back to the text. Genesis 2, 2 and 3. By the seventh day, God had finished the work he had been doing, so on the seventh day he rested from all his work. God blessed the seventh day and made it holy because on it he rested from all the work of creating that he had done. Okay, so go back to the three purposes that are established right at the beginning of time. And they are rest, that we need to stop and rest. And I believe that God has not called us to work seven days a week. All right, I believe he has called us to a day of rest. Okay, and I think it's really important. I mean, I've just seen... Um, I've seen this violated so many times and I always see it come back on people if they do not take, and again, it doesn't have to be Sunday or anything, but we need to take a rest. God has called us to rest as well as work. 
We're to work and work hard and work is unto the Lord. But he's also called us to rest. Matthew 11 says, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. And I think, you know, sometimes, sometimes we make Christianity so hard that we actually do a disservice to Christ. It's not. Jesus has called us to a life of, of, of joy, and a life of love, and a life, a life of fullness. And part of that is taking times of rest. The second thing is that we are called to holiness. And holiness means wholeness and completeness. It's not just a list of do's and don'ts. And holiness is difficult to explain. It's like trying to use words to describe a beautiful flower, sunset, or the Grand Canyon. Unless we have seen God with our spiritual eyes and have experienced God's presence, we will not understand God's holiness. And I, I would describe holiness like this. Um, we spend time with the Lord in order to see God's goodness flowing out of his love for us. His holiness is... I, I would liken it to spending time with your spouse. All right? Now, you, nobody should have to come along and tell you, um, you know, you need to spend time with your spouse. All right? Now, maybe sometimes we do need to remind me. <laughs> but but if, if we have to be told, okay, you've got to spend time with your spouse, then something's wrong already, isn't it? And if we have to be told you need to rest and give praise to God, something's already off. We have to anxiously watch our time that we are with the Lord. So what I'm saying is this. Our relationship with Christ ought to be so important to us that we can't wait to spend time with Him. Romans 13.9, the commandments do not commit adultery, do not murder, do not steal, do not covet. Whatever other commandment there may be found are summed up in this one rule. Love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no harm to its neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfillment of the law. So we are called to love God, love each other. And that's what holiness is, that we, we come into that relationship with God. And the Sabbath, rest, is just part of that that equation of drawing aside and just falling more in love with Jesus. I mean, that's really what it's all about. And the Sabbath is a time that we get to contemplate what really matters in life. And the last thing that we talked about was blessing. God blessed the seventh day and made it holy because on it he rested from all the work of creating that he had done. So in closing, I would say this. God wants to bless you and bless you with a life of rhythm, bless you with a life of, of uh, balance and fruitfulness and abundance. And I believe that part of that is, is taking time to be with him, whether it's you know, your, your, your prayer time in the morning or whether it's a Sabbath day or whatever, you know, whatever it is, that we take time to be with Jesus. And I think that's what God is saying with this. Take time to be with me. And I find the more time I spend with Jesus, the more I love him. And the more I love him, the more I want to spend time with him. Amen. Thank you.
Heavenly Father, we know that you call for us, that you've told us to rest, to keep, to keep a day holy for you. And to Lord, Lord, we should keep every day holy for you. We should come to you in prayer every day. But setting a day aside where we can all get together and rejoice in being part of your family is one of the truly great things that we get to be able to do to worship you. Lord, we thank you for this. This we lift up in your son Jesus' holy and precious name. Amen. 